continuing our series called Revival. How many of you guys ever wrestle with questions? Um, maybe you get hung up on questions. How many of you guys have ever got hung up on stupid questions before? Just in, in life, like, uh, I, I remember when I was a kid, I heard this question somebody threw out one time, and it was like, it, about God. If God can do anything, can he make a rock so big that even he can't lift it? Yeah, you're going to be wrestling with that one for just a little bit. And it was like a stupid question because it was just this circular thinking. Uh, another question I heard when I was a kid, did Adam have a belly button? How many of you guys have ever wondered about that one before? I mean, I was thinking about that the other day, and I kept going back and forth. I'm like, no, he didn't have one. And then I started to think, how strange would it be to not have a belly button? I don't know why that thought crossed my mind. Welcome to Journey Church, okay? This is just... Where all of your questions, you know, you get the question, the classic questions like which came first, the chicken or the egg? Did God make an egg out there or did he make a chicken? And, and so these are like questions I was thinking of this week for some odd reason as I was thinking about a, a, a different question that I think we do need to kind of wrestle with. And here's the question I want to throw out there. It's a question about revival that I've been thinking about and that we've, we, we need to wrestle with. Does revival come... As a result of God's sovereignly, sovereignly stirring hearts, in other words, God just comes and stirs up hearts and then revival comes, or does revival come as a result of man stirring their hearts towards God? Does God just come and, and when we look at, at revivals in history, was that just a sovereign move of God that he just came and he did something that he just wanted to do at that time, that he just was going to do, or did somehow somebody just start getting stirred up for God and that somehow move God into action. So that's the question I really want to wrestle with. And so to do that, I want to look at a story. It's found in 2 Kings chapter 18. And uh, it's about a guy named Hezekiah. Now Hezekiah became king at 25 years old. And the Bible says that he was doing what was right in God's sight. Basically, he, he did. He literally brought a revival to the land. And we see in 2 Kings chapter 18, verse 5 and 6, it says this about Hezekiah, that he trusted in the Lord, the God of Israel. So listen to this. This is pretty impressive. That there was none like him among all the kings of Judah after him, nor among those who were before him. Now that includes every king that you know. That includes even King David. This is saying this, that Hezekiah was, was even, there was no one like him. He did not depart from following him, but he kept the commandments that the Lord commanded Moses. And we see in other parts where he tore down these, these idols, these altars, and, and he broke up this thing that, you guys remember the story where, where there was a plague coming through back when Moses, he held up a staff with like a snake around it, and whoever viewed the snake, a staff, that they would be healed. Well, evidently, they had kept that around for years and years and years. And I didn't do the math on it, but you can see if you read earlier in this chapter that he takes that thing and he breaks it up because they had been offering sacrifices to that thing. Now, how many of you guys know that God can do great things in our life, right? God does. How many of you guys can think back at a time when God did something amazing in your life? See, we have to be careful not to make a monument out of a, a moment that God does. They had been worshiping a moment, but God wants to do a new thing, and God wants to continue to stir. And so he was bringing revival, uh, and, and this was happening in the land. But as we go and we go to the end, or what seems like the end of his story, in 2 Kings chapter 20, verse 1, it says this. This is some years later. In those days, Hezekiah became sick. He was at the point of death. 
And Isaiah the prophet, the son of Amos, came to him and said to him, Now, this is not the report you want to get from the prophet of God, okay? He says, Thus says the Lord. Now, the Lord is speaking through Isaiah. Everybody get this. The Lord is speaking through Isaiah. And this is what God said. Set your house in order, for you shall die. You shall not recover. God said that to him. That, that is pretty... How many of you guys know if you got that news, that's a bad day, right? I mean, that, there's no other way to slice it. That's a bad day. So he goes and he prays and he cries out before God. And, and Isaiah is walking out of the building. So Isaiah comes in, delivers this word. Here's what God says. Get your stuff in order. You're going to die. Isaiah starts to walk out of the building. Hezekiah prays. And God says, hold on, Isaiah. And he, he gets Isaiah's attention. He says, go back in. I got another message. And so before Isaiah can even get out of the building, we, we see that God had spoke to Isaiah and said, okay, you're going to get 15 more years. And God tells Hezekiah, okay, I'll, I'll give you 15 more years. Now, this is a strange thing, right? I mean, God told him he was going to die, and he prays, and then all of a sudden God says, I'm going to give you 15 more years. But Hezekiah, he wants to have some sort of confirmation of this. And so we see this, and he asked what it would be in 2 Kings 20, verse 9. And Isaiah said, this will be the sign to you from the Lord that the Lord will do the thing he has promised. Shall the shadow go forward ten steps or go back ten steps? Now, this was the, the shadow on the steps. Some people debate this, whether this was some sort of sundial or whether it was the actual steps. Nonetheless, it was used, uh, you could use it to tell some sort of time by where the shadow was at on the steps because of what was making a shadow. And so Isaiah says, you get to choose. Do you want the shadow... How many of you guys like to choose your miracle? He's like, you can choose your miracle. Do you want, basically here's what he's saying. Do you want time to fast forward or do you want time to rewind? And he said, and so, so Hezekiah says, well, well, let's just read what he says. He says, Hezekiah answered, it's an easy thing for the shadow to lengthen 10 steps. Rather, let the shadow go back 10 steps. And Isaiah the prophet called to the Lord and he brought the shadow back 10 steps by which it had gone down on the steps of Ahaz. Now think about what just happened here, guys. See, and the reason why Hezekiah said it's an easy thing for the shadow to lengthen, what he was basically saying is there could have been a cloud or something that would come and make more shadow or somebody. There could be something. But to reveal where, to, to make sun come where the shadow already was, he was saying that's a lot harder. That's impossible, in fact. And so what happened is, and I don't understand it all, but somehow God wanted to do some crazy miracle, the impossible, to prove to Hezekiah that what he promised was going to happen. Now, how many of you guys believe that nothing is impossible with God, right? You guys, do we believe that? That nothing is impossible with God? I heard a phrase that we're going to look at uh, a while, a long time ago. It's attributed to a couple different people. They can't settle out on who actually said it. So I'll just claim it as my own. That's what I'll do right now. But I'm going to give you the first part, and then we'll complete it. The first part of the phrase is this. Without God, man cannot. So we're trying to answer the question, does God come and sovereignly do something, or does man stir God's heart? Well, without God, man can't, right? Matthew chapter 19, verse 26, we look at this. It says, but Jesus looked at them and said, with man, this is impossible, but with God, all things are possible. How many of you guys believe that all things are possible with God, right? I want to share some stories that I just came across uh, as I was looking this week on, on the internet. And, and it was just really encouraging stories of 
people moving in, in God and seeing miraculous things happen. So let's watch. Um, and so we're in this store, and then all of a sudden, I, this kid's in the background, and he's, um, he's playing, you know, whatever, this, like, game, this kind of, like, role-playing chess game thing. And uh, he has a cast on his hand, so I'm like, well, that's a good place to start, you know. So me and my brother, like, walked over to him and um, kind of just, like, sort of boldly just kind of interrupted his game. And I was, like, halfway thinking, I wonder if his, like, friend that they're playing this game with is going to get all irritated or anything. And um, I just said, hey, you know, I noticed you have a cast. What happened? You know, was it an accident? Yeah. And he's like, you know, I, I, I fell on my skateboard. I, like, sprained my wrist really badly. And uh, I said, well, you know, Jesus can heal you. You know, can we pray for you right now? Because we felt like we we're supposed to come in here and specifically to, like, pray for people. And he's all, okay, you know. And um, so he took his thing off. We asked him if we could, like, pray for his hand. And uh, I just touched it, and I just said, you know, in Jesus' name, I just release healing power. And, Lord, just thank you that you died for our healing and, and for our sins. And, and then I said, test it out. And he's all, yeah, it's, it's, it's better. And I was like, well, what do you mean it's better? Like, <laughs> like on a scale of 1 to 10, like, 0 being no, no change and 10 being, like, fully, fully better. I'm like, where is it, you know? He's like, it's like a 10, you know? And I was like, it's a 10? And he's like, yeah. And I'm all, dude, you just got healed. And then he was like, I know, you know? He was like all like, he, he like didn't know how to respond almost. We were, we were on the streets and there was a, a man that was begging. He was mute. Uh, he was mute um, from birth. And he was begging on the streets of Skid Row in LA, a real rough part of town. And uh, we began to pray for the guy. And uh, he was just, uh, uh, just kind of, kind of groaning and stuff. And, but uh, we asked him and, and said, say Jesus, you know, and he began to speak and we commanded him to speak and, and, and we commanded healing to come and he began to speak and his first words were Jesus. Just, just this past weekend, I was praying for someone's finger that was completely crooked and uh, it had no feeling in the finger and I put my hand on it and I started releasing the kingdom of God. I started praying in the name of Jesus, just, just healing power to flow and the guy's finger popped right back in, in my hand. And uh, he started crying and said, I haven't had feeling in my finger for six years. And not too long ago, I was, out I was out shopping and I ended up buying a drink at this place where there was this girl. And I, t I was talking to her and I asked her if she needed prayer for anything. And she told me that she had a dislocated shoulder. And so I prayed for her shoulder real quick and I just prayed that God would show her how much he loved her. And asked her how she was doing and she said there wasn't any difference right then prayed again and there actually wasn't any difference then so I left um, wondering why the person didn't get healed but that night I talked to her I talked to someone who had talked to her later and found out that that night as she was laying in bed her shoulder instantly snapped back into place and it freaked her out so much and the next now as I sat there and listened to story after story after story eight hours in all I began to wonder if what I was hearing about was supposed to be the average Christian life. I mean, these kids were out of their minds for God. Had I been missing something all these years? I came out of a background where I had never even heard of the Holy Spirit until about four years ago. Like, they just didn't talk about it. And now I read through the Bible and I mean, like, they have whole books on what people do through the Holy Spirit. I'm just like, how can you miss this? <laughs> it's, it's right there. You believe in Jesus and... That's his, That's his book right there. So if you don't believe that, do you believe him? How, how many of you guys believe that God can, can do those types of things, right? And how many of you guys believe that, that all things are possible with God? So we, we say, without God, man cannot. And we're asking the question. Here's really the title of the message. Can God do anything? Can God do anything? 
Read that scripture again, Matthew 19, 26. But Jesus looked at them and said, with man this is impossible, with God all things are possible. Can God do anything? Now get that answer in your mind. I want you to get that answer. When I ask you the question, can God do anything, get the answer in your mind. And I'm going to say something that may shock some of you. God can't do anything. I'm going to say it even further. God used to be able to do anything. I'm not talking about that God can't heal anymore or that God stopped doing. I'm not saying. But hear me. God can't do anything. And let me say it further. God used to be able to do anything, but now he can't. And let me prove it to you. In Hebrews, he said, without with man, this is impossible. With God, all things are possible. Now, Hebrews chapter 6, verse 18, so that by two unchangeable things, in which it is, what? It's impossible for God to lie. God can't do anything. God cannot lie. And so, I want you to understand that God, at the beginning of all of this, God is all-powerful. God could do anything that he wanted sovereignly. But the moment that God started to speak things, he began, now hear me right, he began to limit himself as to what his options were. Because God cannot lie. So when God speaks something, then what he has done is now he has bound himself to that track. He cannot deviate from it because he would be a liar if he did. So the more God began to speak things, he began to limit, in a way, limit himself. God is, I could say it this way, God is all sovereign until he speaks, and then he's bound to what he said. He can't not do what he said. Is anybody following me tonight? Two people. Okay. Is anybody following? Maybe I need to back up again. Okay. God is all powerful, right? But one thing that God can't do, at least this we know, God cannot lie. So if God says something, that becomes what he has to now do, and he can't do something else. Is that correct? Is everybody following me? So whatever God has said, he's bound to that, and he can't do anything but that, because he would be a liar if he did. So the more God speaks, and the more God begins to say, I will do this, and I won't do that, and I will do this, and I won't do that, God is starting to narrow down the options of what he is able to do. I'm going to show you why this is a good thing. Because this is actually good. So God can't do anything because he's chosen to limit himself to his words to be faithful to them. He can't do anything because he's chosen to limit himself for our benefit. So when God promises us something, God has now removed other options that he could have done. When God makes a promise to you, he is saying that I have, now he has to do that and he can't not do that. Is everybody following me? So, so God chooses to limit himself for our benefit because he, if God makes a promise, he is obligated to fulfill the promise to us. He can't not do that. He has to do that. Now, this ought to be some pretty good news for some of us. Because God has chosen to limit himself. Now, let me, let me show you even another way that this happens. When God began, and I'm going to read a scripture just so that you get this. Genesis chapter 1, verse 26. Then God said, let us make man in our image, follow along with this, after our likeness, and let them, watch this, let them have dominion 
over the fish of the sea, over the birds of the heavens, and over the livestock, and over all the earth, and over every creeping thing that, that creeps on the earth. So God said, let them have dominion. Do you know what God did in that moment? The moment he spoke, he transferred the delegated authority to man. So now God, all of a sudden, he has given authority to, to us. He delegated authority to Adam. He said, let them have authority, let them have rule, let them have dominion. And now God had to do things a certain way because he spoke that way into existence. So what God did is he laid down specific tracks for humanity to follow, specific tracks that even God would follow because he spoke it and he has to fulfill it or he's a liar. And we know that God is not a liar. So how does revival happen? How does it happen? Is it God doing something sovereignly? Is it man stirring their heart towards God? Let me read the full statement. Without God, man cannot. Without man, God will not. Why? Because God could, he used to be able to do everything, but God decided to empower us, to delegate us, to delegate the authority to us. So he decided that things would operate in a certain way. And because he said it, he can't undo it or he'd be a liar. And now he's given us authority. So what I'm telling you is that there are some things that God wants to do, but he can't do because he's set in motion a certain way that things have to be done. And the way that things have to be done are through you and I. And even though, yeah, there are times when God can just sovereignly come in and override certain things because, because he wants to do things a certain way. But as a general rule, God decided to, to speak things into a certain way. And so even though, and this is why I'm saying, how many of you guys believe this about your life? That God wants more for your life than what you currently have, right? God wants to, you to operate in more power, right? Could God just come and just... Boom, just make you into everything you, what he wanted you to be. Have you guys think, well, I don't know if he could or not. I don't know. In one sense, we could say yes. But on the other hand, we could say, no, there's, there's a tension between what God can do and what he's delegated to us to do. And we live in that tension. And so we see that in our story in 2 Kings. Some of you guys act like you're leaving the church after this message. I don't know. It's like, he's blaspheming. No, I, I'm speaking what Scripture says, and I'll show you by the end. Let's go back to our story. 2 Kings chapter 20, verse 1, it says, In those days Hezekiah became sick and to the point of death. And Isaiah the prophet, the son of Amos, came to him and said, Thus says the Lord, set your house in order. God, remember, God said this, set your house in order. Okay, but, And you're going to die. And then let's look at verse 4. And before Isaiah had gone out of the middle of the court, the word of the Lord came to him. He's like, oh, turn back. Say to Hezekiah, the leader of my people, thus says the Lord, the God of David, your father, I've heard your prayer. I've seen your tears. Behold, I will heal you. On the third day, you shall go out from the house of the Lord, and I will add 15 years to your life. I will deliver you out of this. He goes on and changes the whole thing. So the question is, was God double-minded? Did God... No, no, the truth of the matter is that if Hezekiah had not cried out to God, he would have died. Because God was waiting for a response from Hezekiah. Why is that? Because God loves to partner with us. God designed this to work in a partnership with him. 
He didn't design it to work for us just to go to church and to check the box, and that's our Christian life. He designed us to be in real-time partnership with God, and so he designed it in a certain way for God to partner with us. How do you guys believe that that's true? And then you also have to think the next thing. is like, well, then I wonder what God wants me to do and partner with him that maybe I have not woken up to. Because God set things in motion in a certain way. God loves to partner with us. I'm going to share a testimony with you guys. Uh, it's a little bit long, but I believe it's so important for us to hear testimonies and stories about how people partner with God and in real time work together with God. And so let's watch this. So I'm going to share a story that's an awesome testimony. And I'd have the people sit in here and share it themselves, but they'd rather me do it anonymously. So I'm going to read this. It's fairly lengthy, but... Please lean in because I believe that God may want to share some things with you as you hear this. I believe faith is going to rise up. So listen in. It's an awesome testimony. It says, we've been attending Journey Church for a couple years now, and we know without a doubt that this is where God wants us. I remember sitting in church one Sunday morning listening to Sean talk about the building fund, and he was asking people to step out in faith and to pray about making a personal pledge to the future church fund. I remember sitting there holding the card in my hand and looking over to my wife, and she looked over at me and said that we really need to do it. And honestly, I could already feel God speaking to me and asking if I was going to be faithful in this no matter what. So, of course, I prayed for God to share with both my wife and I what the number should be and then how we should give it and thinking maybe it'd be something like give a little extra this month or put a little money out of savings. I never thought when praying that prayer that day that I'd be tested so deeply and blessed so abundantly as I have since. We left church that day and we started driving home. We started talking about the pledge and how much we should give. We talked about how we'd been extremely blessed over the past year and how many opportunities God so clearly orchestrated in our lives. We were able to pay off a significant amount of debt as well as set some money aside to a good old Dave Ramsey, good old-fashioned emergency fund, and even a little extra for investing, and that was something we never been able to do before. So I started mentioning things like, let's give double tithe this month then, because there was no way we could give more than that because we would have to take money out of the emergency fund. And Dave says, you aren't supposed to do that. My wife didn't argue, but she simply said that we should both pray about it and ask God to reveal to us what we should give. And I told her she was right, and we would, I would pray about it. And we arrived home, and she put the card up on the fridge to help us to remember to pray, as a reminder to pray. A few weeks went by without talking about it much, and one evening we were standing in the kitchen, and, and it came up, and she asked, have you truly prayed about what, how much money we are to give? And I told her that I had a few times, but I felt like God was sending mixed signals, so I wasn't sure of the number yet. The truth was, the number that I felt God kept saying to me was too much money, and we couldn't afford it. And so, of course, it couldn't be. It was that God was confused, not me. <laughs> How many of you guys have ever been there before? It's like, no, God, you must be confused, right? And so I then asked her if she'd prayed and had been given a number yet. And she said that God did reveal a number to her, but she wanted to pray about it more because she thought it was a high number. And truthfully, after hearing her say that, my first thought was, darn, <laughs> because that probably meant that my number was correct. And that meant that we would have to break into our emergency fund, and then I wouldn't have that money sitting in the bank to rely on if something happens, something bad happens. And then I would have to trust God to provide for me and my family, and then it hit me. See, my wife and I have been extremely blessed in our lives, but not necessarily with money. There have been times in our lives when we literally lived paycheck to paycheck, and sometimes that even wasn't enough. 
But through all those times, God has always come through and provided for our, our needs in so many ways. But here we were being blessed by God, but now not really trusting in Him. So I prayed and I confessed and I told God that I would put my trust back in Him to provide and would give the money. Later, my wife and I were driving around and we were talking about life and I told her what God had revealed to me about my heart and where my trust had been and that I truly felt like the number that God gave me was the correct number. And she was so excited to hear about how God was working in me and she asked what the number was. And I said, I will tell her, I will tell you, but I want to make sure that she knew something, that she knew what her number was first so that my number wouldn't influence hers. They're trying to make sure that they had the same number from God. Yes, God was still working on me. And she told me that, yes, uh, she had continued to pray about it. And yes, the number was the same number that she had previously. So she had the same number. It hadn't changed. And I told her the number that God had put on my heart and thinking that she would go, oh, yes, that's the number that he gave me. But that's not what happened. So I asked her what number, what, what the number was that God had given her. And the number was three times larger than the number God shared with me. Obviously, I'm not perfect, so my first thought was, good, God's confused. We can just give a little bit of money and call it good. <laughs> my wife, however, said that we needed to continue to pray and ask God to reveal why the numbers were different. And I said, okay, and she and I both continued to pray that God would reveal what the number, real number was supposed to be. More time went by, and I was standing in church during praise and worship, singing along, and as I was singing, I heard God speak this to me and ask a simple question. Do you trust me? And I replied, yes. And I started singing again. And then I heard him say it again. Do you trust me? And so I replied, yes, of course, God, I trust you. And I started singing again. And I heard him say, do you trust me? To which I now replied, trust you with what? And he said, everything. And I started to think about things in my life, my wife, my kids, my friends, my job. And I said, yes, God, I do trust you. But if there's something specific, please reveal it to me. And then God said, what about your money? And I said, yes, I told you I would give you the amount of money that you told me to. But that obviously wasn't an accurate amount because you told my wife a different number. And now I know, I know that's not how it works. So we were both wrong. And then he told me something I never saw coming. He said, you and your wife were both correct on the amounts to give. Add them together. <laughs> and then he asked me again, do you trust me? See, I already had figured out how much we could financially give, that how we would financially give the amount of money that God revealed to me. I just wouldn't invest as much. I wouldn't put as much back in the emergency fund. We would get by. I would just add more money later, but we would still be fine for now. But I didn't even think about how to give the amount God told my wife to give because that was way too much. So obviously I hadn't been considering giving the amount of both monies added, both numbers added together because as it turns out, it would have been all of the money, all the money that we were going to put back for our emergency fund, all the money that I wanted to use for investing, all the money that I would give that would give me the peace of mind that if something happened, we would be okay. It was all of it. Driving home, I told my wife about the conversation that God had, that God and I had earlier and I didn't know what to think about it. I told her that I wasn't positive that it was God talking to me and surely he wouldn't ask us to give that much knowing how hard we had worked for it all and how, what we'd sacrificed to get it. And she said something that touched all the things I'd been wrestling with in my heart. Listen to this. She said, 
that money isn't ours. That money isn't ours. It belongs to God already. And he will provide that he will provide for us just as he always did. And we have to trust him. And then listen to this. She said that she would rather follow God and be poor than to not do what he asks and be rich. That we had been through tough times in the past and that God always showed up and that if we trust God and do what he says, then he will bless us for it. Maybe not right away, maybe not with money, maybe not in the ways we think, but he will bless us. This is faith in action, guys. We both continued to pray about it together and God kept saying the same thing. I tried like crazy to twist what God was telling me so that I wouldn't have to fully obey, but it didn't work. And not only did it not work, but God started to reveal more things to me that I need to work on my life so that he could use me. We ended up having life group later, later that week and asked for prayer, saying that we felt God was asking us to do something and we wanted clear confirmation that it was the right decision. It was during that prayer that God revealed more things to me about my life and he wanted to bless me, what he wanted to bless me with. But first I had to be faithful with what he had already asked of me and trust him. After group was over, one of the guys came up to me and he said that he was given a word to share with me in private. And he told me almost the exact thing that God had just revealed to me. That my wife and I needed to move forward with the decision right away and that God is waiting for me to take the first step in faith and that he can't trust me with more responsibility until I show I can handle the responsibility that he's already gave me. Well, not sure it can get any clearer than that. So the next day I took the money up to the church. I wasn't sure what would happen in my life after finally following through with what God asked of me. Part of me was scared that I'd made a mistake and that I wasn't supposed to give the money. And then I would go broke. (laughs) Part of me was scared that God wouldn't bless me because it took so long for me to finally trust him and do what he asked. But God doesn't work that way. He isn't spiteful. It's been several months now and God has blown my mind in the ways that he's blessed us in the ways that I don't even see until after the fact. And it's been revealed. Then it's revealed it, it wouldn't have happened without God's hand working. I'm so excited to see what God does in my life now. I also can't help but to think about all the blessings that I missed out on because I took so long to obey. This, it was a simple question, do you trust me? Here's a beautiful story of how without God, man cannot, but without man, God will not. God loves when we partner with him, and there's a beautiful story in the making. Come on, let's celebrate that, that God is doing some amazing things. Could God have spoken one number to both of them? Sure, he could have. Could God have uh, just created a gold chest full of pirate treasure and dropped it on the church's doorstep? Sure, he could, I guess, I don't know. But God doesn't want to do it that way because God decided, God began to speak that he wants to cooperate. He wants to walk in partnership with us. And so God does that. Now, let me just, just, just share with you how God does this. He does this so deeply. You realize that God could come and reveal himself to every single one of us without uh, an interaction from anybody else. He could do that. But again, because God has set certain things in motion, he wants to do things in a certain way. So let me share with you a story that happened. I can't share all the details of this story for several reasons, but it's a, it's a story that, that happened a few weeks ago. And it was a Sunday morning. I woke up from a dream, and I had a very specific dream. And I I came to church, and I was remembering the dream, and I and I told the dream. Well, let me just share with you without all the details of the dream. But I I dreamed that somebody that we were in church just like this, and 
and I was, I'm pretty sure I was standing up here, but somebody walked in and sat in a very specific spot in the auditorium that I noted. And they, they came in and they sat down. And they had a rifle that I, I found out they had a rifle. And so we, we wrestled them out in, outside. And then we, we began to wrestle that away from them. There was many more details that I can't share. And, and the, this, the, the, we, changed the, we got a hold of the situation. And the situation turned out good. And so I just happened to be standing next to one of our ministry leaders uh, named Joseph. And I felt prompted by God because it felt like a spiritual dream. And I felt prompted by God to share this dream with him. And so I shared the dream in great detail. And he said, I don't believe that's a literal dream. I believe that's a spiritual dream. And I, I believe that certain things meant something. And, he began, and instantly God began to reveal to him a name and a face of a person of who this person was. But the problem was this person that I believe had only been to our church like one time and doesn't even live anywhere close to here. So it was like one time and that was it. And, and so we just went on with it. We went through first service. We got through halfway through second service. And during the greeting time during second service, uh, Joseph, he flagged me down. He's like, it's happening. And so we watched, and we watched as the person that God had brought to Joseph's mind began, walked and sat in the exact spot that I had seen in the dream. And so, meanwhile, uh, a, a couple of our leaders, Tom was one of them, that Joseph and Tom were talking, and, and they began to just kind of pray about the situation. And, and uh, without getting into specifics, Tom began to pray that if there was anything bad that was directed towards us, that it would come back upon this person instead of whatever was meant for, for evil would be, would be averted. And all of a sudden, God spoke to Tom and said, and he saw a picture of Jesus standing in between the, the, the person and the bad stuff coming back because Jesus said, no, that's one of my kids. I'm not going to let that happen to him. And what God was doing was revealing to Tom that God wanted to have a breakthrough in this person's life. And so after church, they went out and they caught the person uh, and began to talk to them and began. To, and again, I cannot share the details of this, but long story short, there was a moment out there in front of the church where this person was all of a sudden God began to reveal all of these things in this person's life. They surrendered all this stuff to Jesus. They had a major breakthrough. They, th this person was, was sobbing on the, in front of the church because God had done this amazing thing. And they began to share. They said, God set this up. God gave Pastor Sean a dream. God gave Joseph the interpretation. God put Tom in the right place. All that you, also you could have a breakthrough. Now, I, I, <laughs> how do you guys know God could have just come to that person and done something right? But see, since God decided and he began to speak, he began to say, I have delegated my authority to you. I have given you gifts. I want to put dreams in your heart. I want to give interpretations. I want you to use spiritual gifts that God, he, he, could, do, he could do it a certain way, but he decided already he was going to use us. So God placed a specific dream with specific things that I would know exactly where they would be, that I would recognize all these things. And, and God gave Joseph the interpretation and Tom the, the interpretation just so that God could set this person free. Do you realize we have to cooperate with God? Without God, man cannot, 
But without man, God will not. That's pretty amazing. God delegated his authority to man. He gave it to Adam. We already read that in Genesis chapter 1. Authority, rule, dominion. But how many of you guys know that Adam lost authority, didn't he? He surrendered it over to Satan. And, and Satan was, was taking, wreaking havoc, right? And, and because Adam had lost that and sin came in. Romans chapter 5 verse 12 says, Therefore, just as sin came into the world through one man, that's Adam, and death through sin, so death spread to all men because all sinned. So Satan had some authority at that point, but how many of you guys are thankful that Jesus took the authority back at the cross, right? And we see that in Colossians chapter 2, verse 14, by canceling the record of debt that stood against us with its legal demands, this he set aside, nailing it to the cross. He disarmed the rulers and authorities and put them to open shame by triumphing over them in him. What I'm telling you today is Adam was delegated authority. He was to rule and have dominion, and God, used, God, God gave him authority and dominion. And what I'm saying is this. What we lost in Adam's name, we get back in Jesus' name. Adam lost it. Jesus got it back, and Jesus delegated it back to us. Matthew chapter 16, verse 19. Listen, if you haven't read these things in this context and understand what Jesus was actually saying and doing, Jesus, it says this, I will give you the keys to the kingdom of heaven. Je this is Jesus talking, okay? He's talking to us. I will give you the keys to the ki of the kingdom of heaven, and whatever you bind on earth shall be bound in heaven. Whatever you loose on earth shall be loosed in heaven. Jesus delegates his authority to us as believers to bind and loose, to cast out, to heal in his name. He sent out his disciples with the authority to do that. Is anybody getting this this evening? He has delegated this to us. It says, these signs will follow those that believe. He empowers us by the Holy Spirit. We talked about the anointing a few weeks ago. And what I'm saying is today we could be one faith act from experiencing victory. One faith word from experiencing victory. He's given us the key to unlock power. Now, here's what some of us do not walk in the authority God has given us because authority can sometimes look like arrogance. Authority can sometimes look like arrogance, and Satan wants us to shrink back. He wants us to not walk in the authority that we have. He wants us to not walk. He wants us to, to, to constantly pray prayers like, God, will you do this? God, will you do that? God, come and do this? When Jesus said, no, I gave you the authority to do that. And so, therefore, nothing gets done, and we wonder why we're stuck. We wonder why we have this, this lack. You know, you know what the scripture says? The scripture says, resist the devil and he will flee. Right? How many of you guys have ever read that scripture before? Resist the devil and he will flee. You know what it doesn't say? It doesn't say, ask God to resist the devil for you. It says, resist the devil and he will flee because of the authority that we have. And I, don't have, I know we got to wrap up, but sometimes people get all worried about about Satan and demons and the activity of, of the evil one and, and the demonic and get all uncomfortable with that. I don't worry about that. I'm not scared of any demon from hell. I'm not scared of any demonic activity. I'm not scared of, of Satan. I'm not scared. And you know, that kind of looks arrogant, doesn't it? But see, here's the thing. I, I'm not scared of that. You may be concerned about it. I'm not. I'm not careless with that. I just simply know who I am in Christ. 
And until you know who you are in Christ, you will be walking around fearful. You will walk around shrunk back. You will not have confidence before God. You will be rising and falling on everything that happens to you or around you. But watch this, last scripture, Matthew 10, verse 1 says, And he called to him his 12 disciples, and listen to this, he gave them authority over unclean spirits to cast them out, to heal every disease and every affliction. Now, was Jesus just talking to them, or was he talking to all of, his, all of us as disciples? I believe he was talking to all of us as disciples. Now, can we take that scripture seriously or not? Did he really give us authority? He did. Did he really give us the authority to, to, over unclean spirits to cast them out, to heal every disease and every affliction? But without God, man cannot. Without man, God will not. Because God, it, it says that with God, all things are possible, but it says it's impossible for God to lie. So as soon as God gives authority, guess what? He gave the authority. The question is, are we going to walk in it? I'm going to have the worship team come back up at this point. Let me just say, I'm going to say one last quote. I don't know where it came from, but it's good. Listen to this. It's not the parts of the Bible that I don't understand that disturb me. It's the parts that I do and that I'm not doing. God hasn't called us just to be good moral people. He's called us to be powerful people. He's called us to be people who walk in his authority. He's called us to be people who bind and loose. He's called us to be people who carry freedom with us. He's called us to be people who are willing to be used by him in a variety of ways. Everybody doesn't look the same. But it's not the parts of the Bible that I don't understand that disturb me. It's the parts that I do and that I'm not walking in. What we're going to do, and I I think there's going to be a powerful moment for some of us what we're going to do is we're going to wrap this up and we're going to receive communion. And I want you, as we receive communion, I want you to be called back to what Jesus did on the cross. That his body was broken for us. That stripes were on his back. That his blood was spilled. That victory was won at the cross. I want us to be called back to understand that Jesus took the keys of the kingdom. But do you know what he did with the keys of the kingdom? He handed them out to us. And he says, you shut doors. You open doors. You bind. You lose. You take authority. You walk in victory. We don't have to ask Jesus to get back up on the cross every time we need a victory. He did it (laughs) once and for all so that we could walk in victory. And can we just kind of close our eyes for just a moment? And I want you to see whatever situation you're facing. For some of us, I don't know what it is, but whatever you're facing, I want you to see Jesus handing you a key to that locked door. And he says, you go unlock it. Remember who you are in Christ. Remember the authority that he's given you. Remember that he wants to partner with you to accomplish his work. Remember, he doesn't want you just to sit back and pray a prayer like, God, will you come and fix all of this stuff? He says, no, I want to partner with you 
to use the authority that I've given you, to use the gifts that I've given you. To you to, to, I want to partner with you. It's, it's both. We, without God, man cannot, but without man, God will not. He wants to partner with us. And so God, we thank you for the victory on the cross. And we thank you for the blood that was spilled. We thank you for the body that was broken. We thank you that it, wasn't, it didn't just happen so we could have a nice story about love and forgiveness, but it happened so that we could walk in power, so that we could walk in confidence before you, so we could walk in confidence before the enemy, knowing that we are, already have the victory, that we have the keys, that we can bind, we can loose, we can set things free in motion because you have given us authority. Lord, I pray right now for a revelation that I feel like it's only going to happen by revelation of the Holy Spirit. It's not going to happen by information. I pray for a revelation to everyone here tonight of what you've done and of who they are. In Jesus' name, amen. We're going to come to the table and we're going to be reminded there's tables in back, there's tables in front. During this next song and during this next time. Just take, come get the elements of communion. Take them back there to your seat. Have a moment with God. Have a conversation with God. Maybe you might even ask him, say, God, remind me who I am. (laughs) Remind me who I am. Maybe have a conversation and say, God, help me to see clearly who you are. And just just sit there and and have a moment with God. And then at some point during the the song, we're going to receive communion. And you can do that at any time during that song uh, as as you feel like it's, it's appropriate. So let's come, let's stand up, let's come and let's receive.